This is Pure Murders and Mysteries. Let's talk murder. Welcome back to Pure Murders and Mysteries. I'm Jasmine. I'm Lindy. I'm Brad. In this episode, we'll be talking about a lesser-known serial killer, rapist, arsonist, burglar, bank robber, and true maniac, Israel Keys. We had briefly talked about him last week on our episode about Brian Schaefer, but today we're going to go deep down on the crazed man. Before you cross the crime scene tape, just wanted to let everybody know that Pure Murders and Mysteries is brought to you by PureFandom.com. Pure Fandom is filled with some amazing writers who bring you the latest information on your favorite movie and TV fandoms. Please keep in mind that this episode deals with true crime, violence, adult topics, and may not be suitable for all listeners. Now that we have that taken care of, let's talk murder. Okay, you're right, Brad, because this episode in particular is going to deal with some pretty tough subjects, so trigger warning in advance. Israel Keys is not as widely talked about as other serial killers, but he's definitely one of the craziest and scariest people that I've ever read about, and I think you guys would agree. Mm -hmm. So he had a stretch of crimes starting with kidnapping and sexual assault in 1996 and ending with kidnapping and murder in 2012. And like Jasmine has said, We briefly brought him up in the previous episode. So in this episode, we'll talk about Israel's tumultuous childhood and early adult life, his extreme escalation, some of the complex and insanely elaborate plans that he concocted, um, and the murders that can probably be attributed to him, even if never proven, along with the three that are definitely proven to be done by him. Mm -hmm. He committed suicide while in prison, so... There are a lot of answers that we are not going to get. So let's dive straight into his early life and some of the things that shaped him into the monster that he eventually became. So I want to start with his childhood. Um, As you can guess, it wasn't normal and happy. Mm -mm. He was born in Utah in 1978 and raised in a very strict Mormon household. And he was homeschooled. And if I'm not mistaken, I think he was one of nine children. They had a lot. Yeah, for sure. There were a lot. So things in Key's life got balls to the wall very early on. The family moved to Washington State. Um, They lived in Colville, which is on the east side of the state, which is very different from the coast. It's Mm. like very conservative. There's a lot of open space out there and rural way of life. It's not Seattle, so don't have that in your mind. Um, And reportedly, they lived off the grid in a cabin with wood heat and no electricity. So Mm -hmm. they were rough in it Mm -hmm. by choice, I think. (laughs) Coincidentally, and this is crazy, they lived beside Chevy Kehoe. I don't know if it's Kehoe or Kehoe, but he was actually a convicted murderer. And you may, I don't know if you guys have ever heard of him, but to listeners, you may have heard of him. He kidnapped, tortured, and killed a family of three in 1996 in the name of his Aryan Republican army. Hmm. So, yes, he was a white supremacist. Hmm. Um, And the church that Kehoe, Kehoe, whatever, and his family went to was a white supremacist Christian identity church called the Ark. So, Keys and his family would go with the Kehoes often. So this is in Stevens County, Washington. And I did some research on the ARC because I wanted to see what it was all about. Mm -hmm. So the ARC taught that white people are the superior race and that the Bible is basically the story 
written for white people or Europeans. That's kind of the way most Christian identity churches, that's what most of them think. So the people that were super hardcore into the church believe that Jews were biologically Satan. And some of them believe that Jews were cursed by God. But either way, it was very anti-Semitic views. Oh, my God. Um, yeah, it was insane. So I got like crazy and I'm like, okay, does this church still exist? What's going on? So I found that in 2002, the church changed their name to Our Place Fellowship. And from what I can see, it's still in operation. I saw something, some kind of press about it in 2012, about it still mm. being pretty contra controversial for their views. But then I started looking for news in the last five years and I couldn't find anything. So they're seemingly under the radar, but still in operation under the name Our Place Fellowship. Ugh. Anyways, yeah. So he had that going for him. So this um, white supremacist viewpoint ideology was ingrained in him. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't know that it really had and we'll talk about this later and you guys might know more, but I'm not sure it really played a part in his crimes later on, but I think it definitely went to shape him as a person. Um, there was another church that they would sometimes attend. It was called Christian Israel Covenant Church. But as you guessed it, it's also a Christian identity church with anti-Semitic views. So the family was all about that. Um, That's like so interesting, though, because then I was like researching about Keyes's, uh basically his childhood and growing up. And he was saying that he had some kids who hung out with him when he was younger. But when the kids' parents found out or got a whiff of Key's creepiness. He said, I quote, the parents and the parents of the other kids would find out about some of the stuff I did. And that's when I started doing stuff by myself pretty much exclusively. So mm -hmm. just based off that quote, I would have just assumed that he was kind of the weirdo in this town. But it kind of sounds like it's not. This is an entire town mm -hmm. of weirdos and messed up people. Yeah. yeah. So this key, this Chevy Kehoe, key, him and mm -hmm. his family, I think the father of that family, um, they was into polygamy. Like they believed in that too. It was kind of, I don't know, they were odd ducks, but the keys and the Kehoes kind of became friends, I guess you could say. Mm -hmm. And so the Kehoes and their ideology and the ideology of this church, um, I think, Thing kind of turned helped shape keys because as we'll see he's a very narcissistic person let's move on to his time in the military because believe it or not he served for a few years in the army yeah, yeah. Keyes served in the U.S. Army from 1998 through 2001 at Fort Lewis near Tacoma Washington then Fort Hood and Colleen Texas and he actually spent some time in Sinai, Egypt, training. He, in 1998, went to New Jersey to enlist as a specialist in the Alpha Company. And some sources say that Keyes was honorably discharged in 2001. And then some say he just simply wrote out his service in 2001. So it's a little bit of a well, discrepancy right there. Even if he wrote out his service, he still was going to be honorably discharged. Oh, okay. You really Actually, have to it's really good that, Brad, you're going to give us some context. Yeah, you, you got to screw up in order to get a dishonorable discharge. Other than that, you're just get, you, you ride out your time, you do your time, honorable discharge. You're good to go. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. I did not know that. That's All how right. that works. Oh, good to know. Um, so I had previously mentioned that it's really good that Brad is giving us some context here because I had, during my research, realized that he's actually got a bunch of award, awards presented to him during his time in service. 
And I kind of took that to mean that he was this very like meticulous, skilled man who got all these awards. Brad will tell us that that's not quite the case, but um, I'll do a little bit listing of the medals that he did get. One of them is the Army Achievement Medal. He got the Army Service Ribbon as well, the Marksman Badge with Rifle Bar, the Expert Infantry Badge, and the Air Assault Badge. I don't know what any of that is. Brad, break it down. What's well, all a bunch of crap? Well, <laughs> your Army Achievement Medal. I'm just, I was in the Navy, so I'm just going to go off of kind of what I was in, you know, army achievement medal. You did, uh, you got some outstanding achievements. You did good service. You're a good all around person. Mm-hmm. You, you got a good review. You know, that medal, uh, army service ribbon. You got this right out of boot camp Cause you're in the army, <laughs> but it, it's literally, it's kind of what this is. is here you go. Oh. You, you finish boot camp. You're good to go. Uh, oh. the marksman badge. Yeah. I was like, yeah, it says completion of initial entry training. Right. Yeah, you made it through boot camp without dying. You're good. Here's <laughs> here's a ribbon. Uh, your marksman badge, probably a little bit different in the Army than it was the Navy, but that's basically um, with the rifle bar. So he could take a rifle and shoot things downrange without hitting anybody else in the process. You know, it's you're good. You're efficient with the gun. Mm, and you're in the infantry, okay. you should be efficient with a rifle. And he probably <laughs> had a really good grouping and everything else of his shots. And that's, you know, this thing, that's what he got. As for the expert infantry man badge, I mean, those are special skills that would later come into play down the line with him. Mm-hmm. And uh, the air assault badge, I have no idea. Uh, my guess he's jumping out of airplanes. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, oh, I yeah, it says awarded to individuals who successfully completed air assault training. Right. Okay. Yeah. But like, we don't know what that entails. Like yeah. I said, I was in the Navy. I didn't have that. But I, you know, it's one of those things. These are medals that you get when you're in a service. And depending mm-hmm. on where they are, depends on how they're ranked. Because right. when you see somebody with ribbons on, they're, they're in an order of, um, importance uh. they're just not on there for whatever reason and i uh-huh. showed um y'all a picture uh earlier not the people listening to the podcast but when i was <laughs> in i got the kuwaiti liberation medal which yeah it looked really cool it's a really um, really cool looking medal and everything uh-huh. else but that came from an outside service i mean outside country so that is literally the last ribbon and the last medal that you would wear on your side Okay. It oh. it's, it falls way down online. Granted, it looks a whole lot cooler than some of the other ones I had, but you know, uh, it's just yeah. it's just like yeah, here. And that only yeah. came for like a, about a little period of time during the Persian Gulf War. So mm, there's okay. the information that some of y'all probably didn't know and didn't really care about. But there you go. <laughs> and it's not. And I shouldn't have said that these awards or medals or whatever ribbons were crap. They're not crap. Or, I mean. He obviously achieved no, yeah. things. It's just that don't take it as, oh, he's some kind of like he excelled in the in the army beyond all these people. I mean, it's fairly probably we don't really know about the air assault badge, but um, fairly standard achievements, I suppose. Yeah, it, it's not really that out of the ordinary that he has those. Mm-hmm. Um the aerosol badge, it sounds, it's a really cool one. I, I'm not really sure about that. It, uh, looking it up, it probably has something to do with, I'm guessing, jumping out of airplanes and helicopters <laughs> and stuff like that. I yeah. don't know. Um, after my trip to Colorado, when I talked to some Army people out there, I'd probably be able to tell you, but that's not until it's like two weeks from now. So there you go. Uh, okay, okay. Yeah. Oh, but, wait. I found it. 
The Air Assault Badge is awarded by the U.S. Army for successful completion of the Air Assault School. The course, the course includes three phases of instruction involving U.S. Army rotary wing aircraft combat air assault operations, rigging and slingboarded op, slingboarding operation, sling loading operations, and repelling from a helicopter. Right. So, hmm. so actually, in all general, actually pretty some badass shit that you got to do when you're coming out because mm-hmm. these are, uh, you know, you're doing fap, uh, fast rope insertion is when you're in a helicopter, they drop ropes down and you repel down really quickly. Mm-hmm. Stuff uh, I don't yeah. want to do. <laughs> why is it in the navy horrible. but i was still on the flight deck which was scary isn't it but anyhow <laughs> but yeah i mean it's a lot of stuff out there so okay. and actually they say on average 30 to 40 uh percent of 30 to 40 students fail the course oh so wow. it's kind of a a, a big thing you know if yeah. you fail right on zero day you didn't make it through i mean so a lot of people mm-hmm. probably fail out right away yeah okay. so but i mean it is notable that out of like the five ribbons and like medals and stuff that he got only one is really um what you what did you say lindy not standard so. well i don't really know i don't think we can really say because we are not the experts oh, yeah. on this but i think yeah, we'll yeah. just call uh, we'll call keys above average in this area but not like extraordinary so right. we'll just leave yeah. it at that so nobody yeah. gets mad at us because i mean <laughs> we'll just say we're not i mean it's it's hard to say. It's not like they're the achi- it's not like the achievements aren't great. So yeah, for sure. Yeah, um, but okay. So aside from the metal stuff, people that served with Keys noted that Keys was quiet and he typically stayed to himself. Reportedly, he drank heavily on the weekends, a lot of wild turkey, which was his favorite drink, and he was also a huge fan of insane clown posse. And he saw he hung their posters all around his barracks room. He was a juggalo. juggalo. Is that what it is? Okay, yeah, because I like looked it up for a second. And I was like, I'm not interested in in insane. No. I heard- Have you ever listened to them at all, Jasmine? Uh, actually, before um, we started the podcast, Brad <laughs> put a little bit of it on, and I was like, this is very aggressive. It is. So there's like a couple songs off of I think it's the Great Malenko that I like, mm-hmm. but it's a cra- It's an insane fandom. Insane. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They're and um. <laughs> Yeah, I can't. I've tried multiple times to listen to their music, but I can't stomach it. It's mm. too it's too nasty for me. I can't do it. <laughs> but I mean, we can't I guess we can't judge him for it. But now that we know he's a white supremacist, he listens to ICP. Uh-huh. We're kind of starting to paint a picture of him. <laughs> a little bit. A little bit. Yeah. Okay. Uh-huh. <laughs> no judgment to you juggalos. Out not there. not all juggalos are bad juggalos. Not all of them. Yes. Yeah, hashtag. Um, oh, but there was a little Murderpedia uh, quote that said in Key's interviews, he said he was anxious for his military service to end so he could start murdering people. What the? I don't. What the fuck? I don't even know. That he was ready. Yeah, it's easier to All do right. that when you're not in the military. Mm-hmm. <laughs> At least he had some kind of I don't know rational rational thinking that made him wanna sever not, those two things. I don't you know. You will see as we go along. He's not stupid. No, and I he is not like many serial killers. I, I don't think he's mentally ill, so Mm-mm. he knows no. what he's doing, and that will yeah. become abundantly clear. Yeah, Ugh, but no. Ugh. So let's fast forward to his adult life. In 2007, Key started a construction business in Alaska. He called it Key's Construction and worked as a construction contractor. He actually had a past with construction. 
Between 1995 and 1997, when he was around 17, 18 years old, he was one of a seven-man construction crew doing custom work. And that makes sense since apparently Keyes was a very well-known handyman around the area in Alaska. And he did a lot of, like I said, custom work. So he just kind of knew and excelled in the contracting handyman business. This is like the only time I think any of us really found mention of of these people. But Keyes had a a child and he moved to Alaska with a kid, his kid and a girlfriend, which I'm not sure that the girlfriend was the mother of the kid or not. Um, but I didn't, I personally couldn't find anything more about his romantic relationships or the kid. Mm -mm. Yeah. The only thing about the only other thing about the kid that I found was that his girlfriend took, I think it was a daughter, but the girlfriend took the kid away with her when she left him. Mm -hmm. Well, that's a good thing. Yes. Yes. No, no, that's a very, very good thing. But it's just weird because I feel like with a lot of other serial killers, we either hear a lot about them obsessing over like a certain type or having like a very weird sexual relationship with like other serial killers or something. But Keys, not so much. No. Um, and what's interesting is even after Keys was caught, there was n- I never read any statements from people that knew him like this woman saying, oh, yeah, I took my kid because he exhibited signs of this, this and he was this type of person. There was nothing like that. So, yeah, he's very much a I guess loner is too much of a r- romantic word to describe him, but he's very much a loner. He I don't think he really cared about anyone. Except for himself and what he could do, like mm-hmm. it wasn't even a sick way to you know, communicate or be with people. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Um, yes. So Keyes also owned property in upstate New York near the Canadian murder. This was also convenient because he traveled extensively for his murders, which we'll talk about later on. Alaska was the place from which Keyes ventured out to almost every region of the U.S. planning and committing his murders. He traveled many times since 2004, looking for victims, setting up buried caches of money, weapons, and tools needed to kill and dispose of the bodies. And some of his murder kits have been found in Alaska and New York. He himself admitted to having stashed murder kits in Washington, Wyoming, Texas, and Arizona. So he got around a lot. Yeah. And and we'll talk a little bit about what these murder kits were later but i mean they were anything from ammo and weapons and silencers and drano and bags and um you know everything you you need to pull off a really great murder mm-hmm. yeah boys got really through and through <laughs> so w- we can throw this in the link also there is a google maps uh, street view of his truck and he's sitting in his truck with his daughter what yeah there's it's straight up and it's kind of it's you know, you look at it, and later on, this is a truck that was carrying around um, Samantha's body. So it's oh my god, know, it's it's totally here, and it's just that one that, that thing that makes you go, okay, this person got caught by Google Maps, Google Street View, right? <laughs> just out there in the open, no one knows anything better. Just yeah. makes you go, how many of these people are just out there that you may have just crossed by, and you know that's it, and you'll never know until. That's, You're dead. You may never know. That is incredibly unsettling, Brad. I'm sorry. I feel like you shouldn't. I that was not necessary to say. <laughs> no, it is because it's almost Halloween, and also everyone should be aware that there could be a killer around every corner. Otherwise, you might end up a victim. Yes. Oh, yeah. 
That is true. What is that word? <laughs> Stay vigilant or something? I don't even yep. know. But yeah. Lovely. So before we get into his first crimes and any of his crimes, we want to play a little clip for you. And this is a clip of Israel after he was captured, of course, um, during an interview. But it really shows the type of person he is, because as we mentioned, he is intelligent. Mm-hmm. He's in very in control of his own story. He's very in control of all of the situations that he plans out and creates. Um, and he's incredibly narcissistic. So Brad's going to play a little audio clip so that you can kind of hear what he sounds like when he talks and have that in your mind as we're going through some of these crimes. There is no one who knows me or who has ever known me who knows anything about me, really. Mm-hmm. They know... They're going to tell you something that does not line up with anything I tell you because I'm two different people, basically. And the only person who knows about what I'm telling you, the kind of things I'm telling you, is me. How long have you been two different people? (laughs) Long time. 14 years. So that basically sums it up. I mean, he had his uh, handyman service that he did, like you said, not everybody knows who he is. They got one person, and then there's the other person who had the MOs that, you know, were beyond a lot of stuff that you normally see. Because mm-hmm. he would target random people, right? Mm-hmm. But he would also plan it out so these people live far away from his house, and it wouldn't tie back to where he was. Mm-hmm. He never mm-hmm. went in the same area more than once. And mm-hmm. he had these murder kits that he buried around the nation. And we talked about that. So mm-hmm. he would plan these out, bury the murder kits. And then later on down the road, when he got in a killing mood, go there. Because once he picked up his murder kit, that just limited the amount of time that he had to be with that stuff. And it Mm -hmm. was ready for whenever he needed to be, have it ready. And he didn't have to, you know, be caught on video or something buying something. Because he paid cash for everything when he went places also. Which Yeah, and and we're going to find out where he got that cash from too. But yeah, before we dive into all his, all the murder stuff, um, I guess let's start with his, his earlier crimes. Because he wasn't just a murderer. But he had like a long list of other shit that he did because he's crazy. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. he's very much crazy. Yeah. Oh, I hate him so much. Anyway, okay. So there is speculation that Key started killing pets and small animals around the age of 14. I'm going to say fun fact, but I don't know if it's a fun fact. Uh, his <laughs> grandfather gave him a .38 caliber revolver when Keys turned 14. Did you call it a .38? She did. That, she, I don't know what it is. <laughs> she did, and she lives in Chicago too. You know, .38 caliber. Don't .38 you, cal- Okay, you don't say the I point. Alright, that's fine. It's, it's fine. No. You, know, you never, you <laughs> never say the out. point. <laughs> okay. And Keys in turn outfitted the gun with a homemade silencer. It's ridiculous. Keys also reportedly had an obsession with guns and Satanism which was a random fact that I found out. And that's just very interesting considering we have the context of the church that he went to growing up. Is it really? Mm-hmm. Cause I don't remember yeah. seeing that anywhere. Is it? But just- I don't know because is this satanic panic time? What year is this? No, I guess it's a, it's after that, but it's still in the area of satanic panic time. So 
I guess. I didn't, I Jasmine don't know that I read about Satanism, Satanism anywhere either, but people love to just tack that on. Yeah. Because yeah. it's just like an easy way to describe it, but I don't know. Yeah. I, I think yeah. the Satanism only really came up in one article that I read. And even then I was just like, I don't know if it's really reputable. Yeah. All y'all young ones missed a whole satanic panic error. That was, you know, <laughs> Lord knows if you're a little goth kid back in the eighties, like I was, Oh my God. <laughs> I know I'm actually this is a shout out to another podcast but um, Brad and I both love last podcast on the left and they just did the uh, the first part of the West Memphis three and so they're really talking about the whole satanic panic stuff mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean it shit was real it was, it was crazy it was yeah I, I was there during that time it was yeah it was a thing mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. all right so his first official crime actually happened between 1996 and 1998. He would have been around 18, 19 years old. It was before his military service. He admitted to the feds of abducting and raping a young girl near the Deschutes River near Mopin, Oregon. He told FBI agents that he separated a girl from her friends while they were tubing and he raped her but didn't kill her. He explicitly told the investigators that he planned to kill her but all of a sudden decided not to. Mm-hmm. And then there's a lot of kind of speculation about when and why Keys escalated to randomly murdering people. But most of the articles that we read as research agree that this rape was the very beginning of his long list of crimes. Yep. He got away with it. And then we'll see the escalation. But it's like, oh, I got away with that. What else can I do? Oh, I got away with that. And he planned like he was very careful about what he did. So every time he got away with it. I mean, he was obsessed with the thrill of it, so he just, you know, it's like drugs. You keep needing more and more to get high, and I think that's exactly what happened with him. Yeah, yeah. There's a quote that I think we'll talk later on about what motivated him, and it's just very unsettling. Mm -hmm. Um, So then between 2002 and 2006, Keyes admitted to killing two more people. The timeline is really interesting here. So November 2002 is when Keyes' father died, and a lot of articles kept making it clear that Keyes went to the funeral. I was like, that's fine. Okay, cool. At the end of 2002 is when Keyes separated with his girlfriend. And that's the girlfriend that had the daughter uh, with him. And then he started robbing banks starting in 2009 to fund his crimes. Mm-hmm. So we are going to link these uh, three articles in the article in the Pure Phantom article. But there are three that... To give a full rundown of his assaults, murders, burglaries, robberies, all the efforts he took to amass his killing tools. One of them is this Thought Co. blog post that's very, very thorough. An Oregon Live article that, Brad, you said it was it, written in 2013? Yeah, it was written in 2013. has a really good timeline on it because it was actually done like you know right after he died, basically. But mm-hmm. uh, they also had in, listed in there from July 2001 to October 2001. It said Keyes committed his first homicide while living near Nebay in Washington. That person's mm-hmm. identity is unknown. So mm-hmm. these are things that he like told the police. And yeah, it's unknown. You're not really positive on a lot of it mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. he's not giving way to narrative. No, no, it's not. Why would he? No. Um, oh, and then the other third article that we're going to link is the Criminal Minds uh, wiki page. And it's pretty, pretty thorough. It's not because he was ever talked about or anything on the show, but it's... it's Actually, he, they did mention him in one episode. Oh, they did? I think they referenced him, but they didn't cover him in like... Oh, oh, yes. The uh, couriers. They mentioned the couriers, the couple. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. Which is a good segue, actually. Thank you. There Lindy. you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we'll be talking about the couriers in a second, but let's give a little bit more on him. He uh, strangled every one of his victims that we know of, except for Bill Courier. And he was shot, which, interestingly enough, well, I'll bring that up here in a second also. Mm-hmm. According to Keyes, his usual routine would be to fly to some area of the country, rent a vehicle, and then drive hundreds of miles to find his victims because he paid cash for all this stuff. No one was able to trace them. Mm-hmm. And by flying in, you know, you flew into Chicago. Okay, cool. We got you on video there. But then he drives, you know, thousands of miles later and takes someone out far away from his home. Mm-hmm. He stashed his murder kits around the targeted area, like use like shovels and plastic bags, Extra money because he always traveled with cash. That's actually, he robbed a lot of places too. He said, you know, he would break into houses and some people he didn't kill. He just stole their stuff Mm. because he had to pay for his addiction pretty much. And he, uh, ammunition, weapons, bottles of Drano to help dispose the bodies. He would look for victims that were in remote parks, campgrounds, walking, boating, stuff like that. If he targeted a home, he looked for a house with an attached garage, no car in the driveway, no children or dogs, is what he told the investigators, which is why I have three dogs. <laughs> Just, you will not be a victim of Israel no. Keys or anyone like him no. or his ghost. Well, <laughs> as soon as you have a dog, I mean, they tell you that anyhow. You got a dog and somebody's going to break into your house. Dog starts barking, they're done. They, they can't, you know. It's not yeah. happening because your cover is blown and you have no idea if your dog is going to love you to death or is going to eat you. <laughs> <laughs> because my dog, Ragnar, he is very loud when he barks. Actually, Aww. Maxwell's very loud when he barks too, but he's blind so he wouldn't know where you are. Oh, <laughs> oh he's old. He's fine. He's spoiled. Don't worry about him. I want to hold him. I just can't rearrange the house or else we're, you know, it's a bad thing. Uh, <laughs> oh my God. I don't mean to laugh, but that is. I know it is. It's it's one of those things. We just can't rearrange the house. He can see a little <laughs> bit, but it's we leave everything the same. Um, no. So now, when he finally committed the murder, he would leave the area immediately with the body and dump it somewhere else across many state lines or at least another state line. And that's part of the problem that they're having is they don't know where any of these bodies are and he doesn't actually say anything about it. Mm -hmm. So one of the people after he was arrested that he admitted to murdering was Deborah Feldman. Mm -hmm. Now, Deborah was from New Hampshire and as the police were showing him pictures of, hey, these people that you may have killed, he saw her picture and said he wasn't going to talk about her at that time. But later on, he did. So Deborah was an addict. She also worked in prostitution. She was somebody who needed money, so it was easy for Keys to lure her in. Once she got in the car, he subdued her with uh, drugs, zip-tied her, and then drove to Tupper Lake, New York. So... This is where her body disappeared. Let me play this bit of audio for you. How long did the body last in a freshwater lake? I mean, because there's no critters that eat. It depends how it depends how lakes, right? deep. I learned a lot because it depends on the deep temperature of the water and if the body's contained in something. And it's not critters; it can be like bacteria, yeah. organisms. 
you know about Lake Crescent in Washington? How deep is it? I think that lake is five to seven hundred feet deep. They've really? never been to the bottom of it. There's people who have gone off that lake, and they still haven't you know, their cars or anything. And that's the lake? That's one of the lakes. I don't know how deep it was. I know the general area, and I had a fish finder, but it didn't register how deep it was. I just feel like it was over. Maxed out at 100 feet. Oh, was that your fish finder goes to 100? I think, I don't remember. I just know if you've been to the lake, you would see what I'm talking about. It, it you know, drops down like a V, so. Okay, that was actually different audio from his first murder that he did in July and October that he claims the person's identity that was unknown. Mm-hmm. I, got, I got my audio mixed up, so apparently I didn't get the other one. But that's exactly what he is. He just hints at it, right? Like, it may yeah. be here. But he did the same thing with uh, Deborah as well. You know, he said, yeah, she may be in the lake. She may be around there. I'm not going to mm-hmm. tell you. So they it's don't... A, yeah, he doesn't want to say, say anything. It's interesting that you said she was a prostitute because uh, from what I read, it was rumored that he frequented prostitutes oh, yeah. in his travels. Exactly. And it's you know, it fits his M.O. I mean, these are people that he could kill and take off with, and no one's really going to notice. Mm-hmm. I mean, because, you know, missing prostitutes is, are not high on the police checklist. And letter, even that, you know, prostitutes go missing. They don't have people who go, oh, this person's missing. You know, mm-hmm. so it's it's one of those things. But even with the case of Deborah Feldman, he admitted he knew her, and, but didn't want to say where it was. Okay. Now, before we get to the couriers, just want mm-hmm. to tell this part. In April or May of 2011, Keyes rode his bicycle along an Anchorage coastal trail to a popular overlook to set up an ambush. As he was hiding in the woods at Point uh, Wart, I don't even know how to say this word. Warrensoff. I'm just going with that because, <laughs> yeah, I don't live there. So he watched a young couple in their car from about 10 to 11. And this is from what he later told the detectives. While there, there a police officer approached them and appeared to tell the couple that the park was closed. Keys had planned to shoot them all with his silenced rifle. Mm. He told investigators later that he almost pulled the trigger even with him there, but another officer soon arrived and spoiled his plans. His hopes was to essentially do a sniper job on someone in order to test out this homemade silencer that he hit made. Weeks later, he would use the same silencer in the murder of Bill Courier in Vermont. Oh, um, this is the second time that we ha- had mention of a homemade silencer, and that's just very, very odd. Well, Jasmine, he's just a crafty little bugger. <laughs> yeah, DIY. Well, I mean, I don't think it's that odd unless you're you like to murder people. But I mean, <laughs> he he was in the military. He he made yeah. things and. Uh, Gun people, well, you can make a silencer. It's not exactly all that hard. It's not easy. It's not legal, but you Mm -hmm. can do it. And if he is proficient in doing this stuff and he wants to take out people silently, he would try to do this and give it a shot and see what happens. Yeah. Yeah. He can't very well go buy one because they do regulate that stuff. Actually, no, we couldn't have got it this time. They shut that down by that. You used to be able to buy these things like a long time ago. But yeah. that's a different story in itself. So mm-hmm. 
Here, let's get on to the Curators now. Yes, yes. The only reason the Courier case has even become an issue is because of me wanting to keep control of that situation before it became a situation. Now, on June 2nd of 2011, Keyes flew to Chicago, where he rented a car and drove almost 1,000 miles Essex-Vermont. He had already targeted home a Bill and Lorraine Courier. His victims had been chosen for the likelihood of success. Now, he knew they didn't have an alarm or dog. Better success there. Upon arriving in Vermont, he stopped to grab his kill kit, and he conducted the attack on a home, which involved him waiting outside way into the night so he knew that they were well asleep. Once that happened, he cut the power and the telephone lines did, and then he entered the house. After that, he took them to an abandoned house. His initial plan was to ransom them for money, but things did not work out the way he had planned. Lorraine wiggled out of her restraints and ran off, but he had no problem catching her. When he returned, Bill was shouting at him, and then he hit Bill with a shovel and then shot him in front of Lorraine. After that, he sexually assaulted Lorraine and then strangled her. Their bodies were never found. Only he knew where the bodies were dumped, and he admitted to doing the crime, even though the police did not uh, suspect him at the time there. So this is a crime that he admitted to right off, right? And the police was like, I, we didn't have any idea who did it, but he gave enough information to go, he, this is a case that he did. But he thought they had enough to tie him to it. And we'll talk about that more later. Right. But another thing that's interesting is it's very telling. I mean, we talk about how much he planned in advance. I mean, with the couriers, he even looked he even chose a specific style of house because he knew that a certain type of house would have the master bedroom in a certain location. Cause he wanted to be able to know exactly where the master bedroom was to eliminate any kind of kerfuffle while breaking in and getting to them. So, I mean, he, he is planning was meticulous. Mm-hmm. Oh, very much so. I mean, you know, he staked out these places. He knew everything that he needed to know about it. Mm-hmm. And, like, they don't have an alarm, so we got this going on. And didn't really say, but there's a chance he could have broken into the house at one point in time before just to scope it out while they were gone. That's and true. we just don't know. And it's he didn't say he did, but there's a possibility. Mm-hmm. Mm, okay. Well, besides them, there's only one... There's only one other murder that's been officially tied to him, and this is the one that got him busted. On February 2nd, 2012, Keyes kidnapped 18-year-old Samantha Koenig, who was working as a barista at one of the many coffee stands around Anchorage. He had planned to wait until her boyfriend picked him up and then kidnap both of them because he wanted to do it for some ransom, but later decided against that and just went ahead and grabbed Samantha. Now, this one was kind of weird on his planning that he's always done because he was caught on video during Mm -hmm. this abduction. Immediately after he did this, he left the area and went on a two-week cruise, something that he had already planned, leaving her body in the shed. During this time that he was away, Samantha's uh, parents and friends and authorities and everything else was looking for her. They thought she was still alive. 
but they did not know that she was killed and after she was abducted. Once he returned home, Keys poised Koenig's body to make it appear that she was still alive and took a Polaroid photo of her tied up along with a newspaper dated February 13th, which was 12 days after her abduction from a coffee stand. There was one little tidbit that I heard about this that I not sure about, so I don't know if I should share it or not, but it was about how he kept her eyes open. So everybody thought she was still alive. Um, no, 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 no. Okay. I will not share that. You can look it up online in the, on the internet, people. So you're going to find it. It's out there. It is not a good thing. No, it's like jeepers, creepers. Yes. Where'd you get those peepers? Right, Brad? Yes, very much so. It's <laughs> pretty. Yeah. If you see that movie, there you go. Brad um, likes it when I sing. Yes. <laughs> yes, yes, that's very noted. Yeah. So I just don't understand how he went on a two week long cruise and came back and she was not decomposed enough. Well, like, I, eh. oh yeah, how would that work? Because Wouldn't okay, let's let's back this up. He's in a, he's in Alaska. It's February second. Yeah. It's cold. She's oh. in a shed. She's just, she's not going to decompose any. She's, she's cold. The, mm-hmm. the body is not going to decompose enough for that during that time period that he's gone. And I'm sure if he came back and things were a lot worse than it was, he probably would have done something different on it. Sure. But as a result, he was able to take the picture and he typed up a ransom note demanding $30,000 from her family on the back of a photocop, uh, photocopy of the photo and sent a text message to the woman's boyfriend on her cell phone with the directions where he left a note at a local dog park. Yeah, because he had her cell phone. He was using her cell phone to make it look like she was still alive. Right, exactly. Now, after this, he dismembered her body and disposed of the remains in the frozen lake north of Anchorage after he cut a hole in the ice with a chainsaw. Ew. Oh, my God. And it's like, mm -hmm. these are the ones we know about. Like, what other effed up shit did he do? Oh, exactly. In another video, it shows a man identifies keys getting out of a white pickup truck near the nearby parking lot just before the abduction took place and returning with another person that was said to be Koenig. Uh, You can find these videos online. The video of her on just when he came in to get her and, you know, sometimes I think some of this stuff shouldn't be online. That's just Mm -hmm. me. Last moments of somebody's life. I don't sure everybody should be watching it, but here we are talking about it. So there's that, mm-hmm. but this is just, this is, this is how messed up people are. Mm-hmm. Are you talking about him or us? I, yes. <laughs> I, I hope if nothing else, we are letting people know to get a dog in their house, get an alarm system in their house. These are things that you can do that will, could possibly save your life at some point in time. Because if you have these two things, a dog and a, a dog and an alarm system, people who are serial killers will skip your house because they are tipped off and you are not as easy target. If yeah. you sleep with your windows open at night, you could be an easy target. I'm just saying. I also read, and maybe you guys can tell me if I'm wrong, but um, when he kidnapped Samantha, he kidnapped her from inside the, inside the store. Right. Um, 
And I think there was a panic button and she was standing right beside it. And they said she didn't hit it probably because she was too scared. Mm-hmm. Um, isn't that, I, yeah, that makes me. Well, ugh. you see that on the video when he goes in there, cause she was in there and he pulled a gun on her and you see her reactions during the whole thing and has her sit down at one point in time. And then he tells her to put on her jacket. And at, and at one point he had to duck because a car drove up or a truck drove up one and two. So there were a lot of points in there that, you know, could have done something. Yeah. Um, and I mean, she didn't know that he was going to kill her. Otherwise, I mean, cause she, if she had hit that button, it would have saved her life. Cause there's no way he would have killed her and taken her. If he knew he could have been caught, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, how is she supposed to know that? That's the sad thing. Like, She's hoping that maybe if she complies, she can get out. And and that's what it was. He said he wasn't going to do anything. He was just going to, you know, hold her for ransom and stuff like that. And people, okay, if I do this right, then uh, there won't be Mm -hmm. any problem. But, yeah, it's that flight or fight mechanism that kicks in. And, you know, you just got to do something. Don't – if seriously, if somebody comes up and says, I'm taking you for ransom, don't believe them. Believe that they're going to kill you and do whatever you can to get away from them. Yeah. And she did based on that one point, eventually when she tried to get away from the truck, I don't know if you said this yet, but that second video you talked about, Mm -hmm. I mean, she obviously did at that point realize, Oh shit, this is right. And yeah, she she ran off and he did tackle (laughs) her and, you know, pointed a gun out at her and saying that she was, you know, he didn't want to have to kill her, you know, which, Oh yeah. Let me go. It's, It's just one of those. I mean, it's in the moment. That's how things are. Anytime anybody has a gun on you and they say they don't want to kill you, they want to kill you because they've already pulled a gun on you. Mm-hmm. That's You pull a gun on somebody, you want to kill them. That's pretty much how it goes. They've seen your face. Yeah, and yeah, exactly. You've, you've already, you can identify people. This is, mm-hmm. this is why just fight for your life. Do whatever you have to do. Don't get in the truck. Because as soon as you get in the vehicle, what we know from, was it Bundy or Gacy? One or two. Who... who as soon as you got it, as soon as they got in the car, they were dead. Yeah. Oh, I think it was Bundy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, but whatever he is, he knew as soon as they got in the car, that was the end of game. And that's exactly yeah. it. So he had also taken off the green toolboxes in the ladder rack from his truck before the abduction and then reinstalled them afterwards so he could disguise the vehicle. Yeah. Homeboy wasn't stupid. Like all he did was sit around and freaking plot this shit out. Like this was his life. Mm-hmm. Right. And he was good at it up until this point. So we'll get into um, now his arrest because this is his last crime, his last murder before um, he was finally arrested. So the big mistake, there's two mistakes that he made with Samantha. Um, one, he broke his own rule because he targeted somebody in his hometown. So something that he never did before mm-hmm. was kill someone or commit a crime close to where he lived. And the second was that he let his rental car be photographed by an ATM camera at this ATM. He had taken Samantha's debit card and used it. um, And he was caught on, on camera. And those, that is what led to his capture. So on March 16, 2012, Keyes was arrested for Samantha's murder in Lufkin, Texas, which this is, at this time, he had returned from this cruise, and he was in Texas. And Brad, you said he actually got busted for 
something really stupid, right? That led to his arrest. Well, yeah, he was um, basically pulled over on a traffic stop for doing three miles an hour over the speed limit. <laughs> oh, my God. This is a place I never need to visit, ever, <laughs> because yeah. I'm just, no, it's one bad thing that I have. It's maybe speeding a little bit, but, um, well, yeah. Well, it could be pure karma that it was finally. Well, when he was pulled over, he also had, like, lots of money and, you know, the mask and her phone and a couple other things in his car that made him go, you are the person we are looking for. Shut up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, basically his having that stuff in view and stuff like that was pretty much his downfall. So he did pull a Ted Bundy. He made a little mistake and eventually got caught. Right. Yeah. He just made a stupid mistake and that was pretty much what happened when he did it. Careless. All right. So about a month after, after, his arrest they found samantha's body and i indicted keys for the crime so during that month um he had been transferred from texas back to anchorage and was in jail so keys was interviewed for more than 40 hours by anchorage police detective jeff bell and fbi special agent um jolene godin that's a long time 40 hours is a lot so he wasn't straight up about a lot of the details and chose to withhold information or not give details when asked but During the interrogation, he started confessing to more murders that he committed over the course of about 11 years. Um, Something that makes made me like very upset when I was researching this is that even though Keys like to pay attention to the news and kind of follow all the hubbub that happened after his murder victims, he couldn't remember all of their names or like all of the situations. So... I don't know. That just makes me very sad and angry. So particular fact. I know. And you know what? He is, he, there's a difference between a process killer and a product killer. You Mm -hmm. have Jeffrey Dahmer, who's a product killer. He's killing because he wants the body. Mm -hmm. Then you have he's, who's a process killer. The whole point is not the victim and, and the body afterwards and the result. It's the thrill of the planning and the perfect execution and then watching people scramble to figure things out and not be able to afterwards. Um, That is the high that he gets. So it doesn't surprise me that he doesn't remember all the details about the people that he kills, but I'm sure he remembers the situation and the planning that went into it because that's what it was all about for him. I mean, he would spend years planning things in advance and setting up plots and i mean yes he slipped up and made a mistake in the end but he was damn good at it all the other times before so something that i personally have a problem with and i know you guys probably may too is all the coverage that the media gives murderers and serial killers because it basically glorifies them and highlights all of the crazy shit that they do so He's shared with the cops during these interrogations that he actually studied the tactics of other serial killers. Like he enjoyed watching movies about killers and his favy was Ted Bundy. Like he loved Ted Bundy, but um, in true narcissist fashion, he's always pointed out with the detectives, um, Bell and Godin that these plots were his own and he didn't take these plots. He may have been inspired by these other serial killers, but these plots and these murders were his own original ideas. Like 
on multiple occasions, he felt the need to point that out because it was important to him. Um, and oh. I think that really highlights the type of person that he is. So, okay. So, um, so I got a question for you. Sure. So you say you don't believe the media covering killers is in, in essentially glorifying them. Is it like, wait, cause we're bas- we're covering it, but we're not, we're not glorifying. Are you talking about the TV? Basically, you know, it's kind of how we have nightly news. It starts off with your, uh, death and dismemberment every night because that's what sells. Yeah. Yeah. I think local media is kind of, is kind of the main issue. I guess what we're doing is also kind of, yeah, maybe we're part of the problem, but I mean, local, I think local media tends to paint killers in a light that almost makes them like, famous i, I think it, um, when it gets when it goes nationally i think that's when things go down i mean mm-hmm. we got a lot of stuff like uh last year when we had the shooting in in las vegas mm-hmm. yeah those are things like there was so much talk that just went on with that forever right i mean mm-hmm. and it basically did glorify a lot of that stuff that he was doing because there was a lot of stuff online back then time and people were like yeah whatever and you know some of that stuff i can see i it's 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 one of those weird things i mean it's true mm-hmm. crime you talk about it to educate people and stuff like this and to discuss what went down but mm-hmm. then there's the, also the other part of you know i you kind of like put out that people are you know, they have mental issues you know regardless mm-hmm. of that mental health is a big thing Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's it's one of those weird. It's I don't like some of the media coverage, but then I realize that we're sitting here doing the same thing. We yeah. talk about it, but I think it's the way that it's covered and the way that it's talked about. Like, are you talking about it because you're just trying to like fill a spot on the ten o'clock news and you're right. embellishing things and making it all like this grand production mm-hmm. because you need to fill you need to fill time and you're trying to get shock value mm-hmm. um, because I think a lot of things are made more they're they're sensationalized when it comes to like local media coverage and stuff it's not like straight up like we're saying like this guy is a fucking psycho piece of shit Mm. and excuse my my (laughs) language but he is yeah um it's just kind of like a different thing but i mean yeah perhaps perhaps we're part of the problem if any of you listeners out there are thinking about becoming a serial killer um (laughs) Please don't, don't do, do not it. tell anybody when you're caught that you listen to this podcast. Yeah. Thank you. Go go talk to somebody. <laughs> go get some therapy. Talk talk those thoughts out in your head. Yes. Don't yeah. don't just don't let them talk to you. Go go talk to somebody else about the thoughts in your head because that is not normal. You they can help you with this stuff. But mm-hmm. then a lot of the stuff that we've talked about also are kind of like unsolved cases and stuff like that too. And I think that this case is a very interesting one only because I don't think that he was mentally ill and I don't think anyone else thought he was either. Like this is just a case of like pure evil in my opinion. Well, he liked doing it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But if you Mm -hmm. have those thoughts, go talk to somebody. (laughs) Just go talk to somebody. You don't have to kill anybody. No. You really don't. You no. don't need to make a murder kit and bury it in a different state. It's not necessary. No, just go talk to somebody. Save yourself some time and hassle. Start crafting. Not silencers. Yes. I'm talking yes. like scrapbooks. Right. <laughs> okay. So back to Keys. By the end of the initial investigation, the detectives found that Keys' motivation was simply, as Brad said, that he enjoyed doing it. That's literally it. 
Um, Detective Godin said, quote, he enjoyed it. He liked what he was doing. He talked about getting a rush out of it, the adrenaline, the excitement out of it. And I think that that all came from the planning and knowing that he perfectly executed something. Mm -hmm. Um, The plan, not the human. (laughs) Well, that too. Anyways. um, So in a courtroom appearance in May, uh, Keys actually, I thought this was interesting. I only found this, I think, in one place, but it was true. Keys tried to flee the courtroom. So this wasn't his trial. This was just a court appearance. Mm-hmm. Um, he vaulted over the rail that separated, you know, like the, def- the, the lawyers and everybody from the spectators. So deputy marshals used a taser to shock and subdue him. Bell and Sunday, um, Bell said that Keys had noticed his leg irons were loose, so he wiggled his way out. He thought he might get away, Bell said. He told us that if he even had a 1% chance, why not go for it? And that's like the person that Keys was. He was so freaking casual and cavalier about all of this stuff. Um, it's just very bizarre. Uh, so investigators believe that Keys may have opened up about murdering the couriers because he knew they had more evidence against him in this case, which we talked about earlier because – he was not going to admit to something that he didn't have to. So he mm-hmm. thought that they were going to pin the couriers on him anyways. Obviously, he was already busted for Samantha. He gave mm-hmm. that information up freely, and they said he kind of seemed like he enjoyed reliving it. Mm-hmm. Um, he didn't have shame over it or anything. He was pretty open about it. But as we mentioned before, all these other murders that he hinted at, he wasn't going to divulge any information on those. So um, he really lived like a true double life and i found this odd because they said that the detectives investigators said that they think one of the reasons that he didn't want to admit to other things was because he didn't want his family to know what he did like there was something in his brain where he didn't want to mix the one side of his life with the murder side of his life Yeah, he didn't want his daughter to find out okay which is very weird Mm-hmm, like is that a factor are you no he actually said that at one point there is in one of his interviews he said he didn't like the way he was being uh, broadcast in the media and he wanted to limit how limit basically what they were saying because he didn't want it to get back to his daughter what the fuck to find out that uh, he was a serial killer yeah, yeah it's stuff it, like that it, this was in it that was a very weird thing like he was very proud of of the double life that he led and he mm. felt that he did it very successfully. We heard something from a, in a clip earlier, like he, the division that he created in these two separate lifestyles was something that I think he didn't want to mix. So he knew he had to admit to the couriers and Samantha and he was kind of toying with them saying that he committed these other murders because I mean, he probably did, but that he was only going to go so far. Uh, I think that's a very a very interesting factor for him, um, control freak to the max. Um, so when it's all said and done, we know he for sure he killed like three or four people, but I think it's eight to twelve total people that uh, detectives mm-hmm. think that he actually that he actually killed. But right. we yeah. will never know. We uh-huh. will never know. He didn't give an exact number. The FBI released a list of 35 trips that Keys made across the country from 2004 to 2012 in hopes that the public and law enforcement in those areas could match up crimes that had happened while Keys was in the area during that time span. December 12, 2012, um, Keys was found 
dead in his cell. He had cut his wrist with a disposable razor, which I don't, why did, why did he have a disposable razor? Yeah, I don't understand. Um, and for good measure, he hung himself from a twisted up bed sheet. So he died. He left behind a four page letter that he had written, but the letter was more like, it's a poem, right, Brad? Oh no, it's a letter. It's just very weird. But it's poemy, right? No, well, no, no, it's it's a letter. I mean, there are some poem stuff in it, but mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's yeah, it's just weird. Um, we got an audio version of it that I had dictated from text to audio. Um, so I think we may play that at the end of this thing. So yeah, it's yeah. it's like five minutes long. It is weird and creepy, and normally I hate listening to things that are uh, dictated by computers and stuff like that. But I also didn't feel right when I was actually trying to read this because it's uh, humanizing this letter that he wrote, and I don't think it should be because it's weird. This is a guy who killed a lot of people, and. I don't think his voice should be someone else should give a voice to his words. Having a computer sure. give a voice to his words is just perfectly fine with me. Yeah. And if you don't want to listen to it, what we'll, we'll I guess we can put at the end of this episode, but if you don't want to listen to it, in it he doesn't give any like clues or information about crimes or murders that he committed. It's not like that. It's more just I think the FBI referred to it as a creepy ode to killing. It's, yeah. It's exactly exactly what it is. I mean, it is it's an ode ex- to killing, yeah, basically. Him, yep. It's him expressing his joy of like what he did and being kind of poetic about it. But um yeah, it is bizarre and creepy. So we will put that his- at the very end of the episode. So after we sign off, there it is for the last five minutes if you want to listen to it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We won't judge you. We listen to it. <laughs> um great. So after Key's death. Police found killing kits all over the country that he had stashed. So um, we kind of talked about before how what was in them, but there was one north of Anchorage that had Drano in it. Mm. Um, And he told the cops this and they did find it. There was also a murder kit in New York that he told them about. They did find that one. It had silencers and a bunch of other like creepy shit in there. And then he also said, and Jasmine, I think you said this earlier, that there he said there were murder kits in Washington, Wyoming, Texas, and maybe in Arizona, somewhere down yeah. there. Yeah. Um, never found those, but he said that they were there. Um, well, the- but the frustrating thing is we'll never know. I mean, he, he died, and he wanted to die taking his secrets with him. Um, that was part of the game for him. Um, so unfortunately, while he probably did a lot of stuff that – I mean, we'll just never know. We'll never know who he killed, where he killed people, where their bodies are. Oh, my God. So that's a happy little ending to his story. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's Israel Keys. And and if you start looking, we didn't even talk about his bank robberies. I mean, he had no. elaborate bank robberies. Oh, yeah. Um, what was the situation where that with the one guy where he dressed up with the, in a disguise? So it was like really weird. It was like one of his very first, um, I guess, bank robbery. But I don't know if it's his first bank robbery. It's his first like spectacle of bank robbery. But um, I'm just going to read a little bit um, of a excerpt from it. But in 2009, after making travels to California, Washington and New England, Keys decided to rob a bank in order to fund his crimes. On April 10th, allegedly after abducting and murdering a man, also I like how that's just thrown in there for, you know, shits and giggles, he walked into the community bank in Tupper Lake, New York, donning sunglasses, a jacket, 
jeans, gray sneakers, two-tone gloves, a fake mustache, and a goatee. And he armed himself with a 40 caliber semi-automatic. Like, there's yeah. a lot of it where it's very, very cheesy. But then also... But you know why he was at Tupper Lake? Because that's where he took Deborah Feldman and said that he she may be in the lake. She may be around there somewhere. Yep. Yep. So, and see, that's the thing. There's so many things that, like, we can speculate and that makes sense. But we'll never be able to convict or say, like, that this yep. was definitely him. So, yeah, there was... a. In, in interviews with him that you can see online too, he actually says at one point in time he felt kind of guilty for wasting taxpayers' money by sending out the cops to look for you know clues that he was giving out and stuff like that. And he, oh my he god, found it interesting. But in the end, he kills himself for one reason and one reason only. And I have you know this nine second audio clip here for you that explains why he killed himself. Hmm. If I'm dead, then the investigation from the federal government's point of view is pretty much closed. And that's it. That was him taking control of the narrative. No Mm -hmm. one else was going to find out anything else because he was the one giving out the information. And if he killed himself, there you go. That's it. Mm -hmm. God, it's so frustrating. And, and, um, I mean, I really think that he's so full of himself that if he had lived, I think they eventually would have gotten more information out of him. He didn't want to live there. I don't think he could have helped himself. He wanted to be in a state that had the death penalty. That was his whole mm-hmm. thing. He wanted to die. He didn't want to live. He didn't want to be in captivity. Captivity was messing up his, you know, MO. He couldn't really do mm-hmm. anything. So he's stuck there. He knows he's busted. He's not going to get out. That's it. End of story. I'm not going to tell you yeah. anything else. See you later. Yeah. And you should read... Um, you know, for those of you listening, you can read and see a lot of the uh, interviews mm-hmm. that were conducted with him. And I think in them, he says something about like he, he just super casual about, yeah, he knew eventually he would get arrested and this would happen like inevitable. He's fine with it. He's so calm about the situation and in control of it. It's just unnerving. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't think I've ever hated anyone as much as I hate Israel Keys, just his everything that goes into his personality and like his methodical nature and the way that I mean, it's really interesting that you pointed out the difference between a process and a product killer, a process and a product killer. Yeah, yeah. but I, I don't know. He just him committing suicide was it was to get the upper hand. Right. I that but it's just you would think most other serial killers who are as methodical and sadistic as keys had no qualms about rotting in prison for the rest of their life sentence because nothing can really happen to them anymore you know and they get satisfaction out of that well, well like the ones I mean that we some know. people did want to die because they didn't want to rot in prison but I, I think that keys motive in killing himself was different and and unique. I mean, I'm sure there are people who have done it for the same reasons, but like he was totally had always planned on probably killing himself if he was in the situation just so that he could screw over the investigators and just stick it to the people whose lives are affected by, you know, the family and friends of the people that were murdered or missing. Yeah. Unbelievable. Yep. Yeah. There's, there's a lot on there. So, yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that we didn't even touch, but yeah, it, yeah, 
if you want to read more about like some of the crazy plots and things that he he orchestrated or um you know people have there's articles out there that kind of link him to other unsolved murders and crimes saying you know this it makes sense that you know he would have called he would have killed xyz because of timing blah 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 there's all those kinds of theories out there that we don't have time to discuss right mm-hmm. now mm-hmm. i'm i'm going to leave us with one th- with three things here and you practice yeah. this with your people everybody <laughs> should know how to do this should you encounter somebody who wants to zip tie your hands together there are three ways to get out oh my so, god no th- this is important information i think everybody I should know I want to know. So when they're first going to zip tie your hands, you present your hands and make a fist, make fists with your palms down. This Doing this will make your wrists stick out farther and creates more room to slip out of. So then you can relax and you can slide out. Oh, yeah. Okay. Tip number two. So you have your wrists tied together. You're going to break the zip tie. Now, doing this, you're going to take the little end piece of the zip tie in your mouth Tighten that up as far as you can. Get the locking mechanism between your hands. You know, get it down there. And then you're going to lift your hands above your head and bring them down quickly to into your stomach. This will uh, flare out your elbows. Mm-hmm. And that should um, go ahead and break that uh, locking me- mechanism because it's at the weakest point. You want this in between your hands. So it's at this weakest point, And you may need to do it once or twice, but that'll take you out. Now, also, if you have another way, if you have a little pin or something like that, there's a locking bar mechanism on a zip tie that you can release to, you know, let it out. So these are three ways that you can get out of this. You should go ahead and practice this with people. These are important life tips. I just practiced right now in the air. No, I, That's really good. And Thank the, you. Yeah, these are things that you can do, and these are things that – you know, if you find yourself tied up in zip ties, you're going to have to think about it because your you know, motion's all that. But if you know how to get out of your zip ties, you can do it. It's not impossible. It's not that hard to do. I mean, well, it can be hard to do depending on the type of zip tie, but you can get out. And you're just, you have to control the narrative on that part. Mm-hmm. That's really good. I feel like every episode we should give tips on how to escape certain situations. That would yeah. probably be a good idea. We'll Next week, we'll talk about how to get out of a trunk. <laughs> well, that, that's actually kind of easy. Nowadays, trunks are regulated, and there is a pull switch in the back of trunks that you can oh get God. out of. Look, what if up. you're in an? But what if you're in an old trunk? Uh, if you're in an old trunk, I got. I actually got to look Kick and see. Kick out the what, light. Kick out the light yeah. and stick your arm or something out there to flag down people around you. I'll, I'll, I'll look that up how to get out of old trunk. But the it, the the trunk regulation did go into effect like a long time ago. I don't know. I don't know how long ago, but there is. In trunks, there is a white pool that allows you to open it up in case children get locked in trunks or people get locked in trunks. It's like a federal thing. I don't know if you're in another country, you may be screwed, but I know in the United States that's how it is. Well, if you've made it to another country and you're in a trunk, you're probably in pretty bad shape. So we might need to talk about, you know, next level escape tactics if that's your situation. We'll, we'll, we'll We'll do one of those for each episode. Got it. I think that's perfect. I think that's perfect. And it makes me feel better about um, talking about a serial killer. <laughs> For sure. All right. Do we have any other tips on or uh, info on Israel Israel Keys, this freaking monster? Do we need to share anything else about this psycho? I'm good. Yeah. 
Same. I think we're good. Same. He's very interesting, and I am ready to move on for him because oh, it's yeah, pretty for, scary. For sure. Yes. But if you, any listeners, have thoughts you want to share to us about Israel Keys, or if you want to suggest another case, another serial killer, mystery, or anything for the show, you can comment in SoundCloud or on Pure Fandom. You can also chat with us on Twitter directly, Jasmine at Blueberry Jelly, Lindy at Lindy R. Smith, and Brad at Brad ZB. And you can also find Pure Fandom on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Yes, we're plotting some... Um conspiracies hopefully in the next month for you some conspiracy theories they'll be very good so thank you so much for joining us for another episode until next time for jasmine and brad i am lindy and you have been listening to pure murders and mysteries where will you go you clever little worm if you bleed your host dry back in your ride the night is still young street lights push back the black i need rose Off to the right a graveyard appears. Lines of stones. Bodies molder below. Turn away quick. Bob your head to the seat. As straight through that stop sign you roll loaded truck with lights off slams into you broadside. Your flesh smashed as metal explodes. You may have been free. You loved living your lie. Fate had its own scheme crushed like a bug you still die. Soon. Now. You'll join those ranks of dead or your ashes the wind will soon blow. Family and friends will shed a few tears. Pretend it's off to heaven you go. But the reality is you were just bones and meat. And with your brain died also your soul. Send the dying to wait for their death in the comfort of retirement homes. Quietly slash quickly say it's for the best it's best for you so their fate you'll not know. Turn a blind eye back to the screen. Soak in your reality shows. Stand in front of your mirror and you preen. In a plastic castle you call home. Land of the free. Land of the lie. Land of scheme Americanize. Consume what you don't need. Stars you idolize. Pursue what you admit is a dream. Then it's American die. Get in your big car. So you can get to work fast. On roads made of dinosaur bones. Punch in on the clock and sit on your ass. Playing stupid ass games on your phone. Paper on your wall. Says you got smarts. The test that you took told you so. But you would still crawl like the vermin you are. Once your precious power grid's blown. Land of the free. Land of the lie. Land of the scheme. Americanize. Now that I have you held tight I will tell you a story. Speak soft in your ear so you know that it's true. You're my love at first sight and though you're scared to be near me. My words penetrate your thoughts now in an intimate prelude. I looked in your eyes. They were so dark. Warm and trusting. As though you had not a worry or care. The more gooeyless the game the better potential to fill up those pools with your fear. Your face framed in dark curls like a portrait. The sun shone through highlights of red. What color I wonder. And how straight will it turn plastered back with the sweat of your blood. Your wet lips were a promise of a secret unspoken. Nervous laugh as it burst like a pulse of blood from your throat. There will be no more laughter here. I feel your body tense up. 
my hand now on your shoulder. Your eyes, forget the lady called luck she does not abide near me for her powers don't extend to those who are dead. Illegible words would that I could keep you. Let you be the master of your own fate, knowing full well what's at stake. My pretty captive butterfly colorful wings my hand smears, I somehow repaint them with punishment and tears. Violent metamorphosis. Emerge my dark moth princess. I would come often and worship on the altar of your flesh, you shudder with revulsion and try to shrink far from me. I'll have you tied down and begging to become my Stockholm sweetie. Okay. Talk is over. Words are placid and weak. Back it with action or it all comes off cheap. Watch close while I work now. Feel the electric shock of my touch. Open your trembling flower. Or your petals I'll crush. That's it for this episode. Head on over to purefandom.com for more awesome content.